In episode one, I'll be giving you an introduction to me, the work that I do with schools across Australia, and what you can expect from this podcast series. So stay tuned. Welcome to Well-Led Schools with Adrienne Hornby. On this podcast, we talk about all things staff for being, school culture and leadership. Join me for incredible and rich conversations with a range of experts who will give you tips, tricks and inspiration to best support the well-being of the staff in your school and yourself. I'm your host, Adrienne Hornby, a health and wellbeing consultant and former school leader. I partner with schools across Australia to tailor and embed staff wellbeing action plans aimed at addressing staff burnout and building positive working environments. Hi, I'm Adrienne, a health and wellbeing consultant for schools. I want to thank you so much for tuning in to my very first episode of my podcast series, Well-Led Schools. For those of you wondering what a well-led school is, this is a play on words for a school that leads with wellbeing in mind, one that values the importance of staff wellbeing in order to create a positive and productive workplace and, of course, influence the life and learning outcomes of the students that we teach. As a former school leader myself, I have a really strong passion for working with a school's leadership team as they really are the drivers of change in their school and are best positioned to support the well-being of others through first looking after their own health and well-being, but also in being effective, emotionally intelligent and transformational leaders. In this episode, I'll be giving you a rundown of what to expect from tuning into this podcast, the kind of episodes and subject areas that we'll be covering, a background into who I am and the work that I do with schools, and why a focus on staff well-being in your school is essential and has the power to transform your school's entire working environment. It is my vision to bring you a podcast series that's inspiring educational and thought-provoking. You'll walk away from each episode with new perspectives, fresh ideas and recommendations on ways to prioritise teacher and staff well-being, to improve your leadership and to support the staff in your school in order to make a difference in the lives of the students that they teach. You are absolutely in the right place if you are a principal, a school leader or teacher and you recognise that your own or your staff's health and wellbeing needs some TLC. Perhaps the staff or even yourself in your school are disengaged, exhausted or really struggling to collaborate with their peers and with students. Maybe your school has focused on wellbeing before but you haven't quite seen the results that you'd like. Episodes will range in length from short and to the point solo episodes with quick tips on how to prioritise your health and wellbeing and support others to do the same to longer episodes. So often uh, with a co-host to keep the conversations flowing. And this is where we'll cover a topic or a concept in more depth. I'll also be having conversations with expert guests on all things health, well-being and leadership that are more specific to a school's context. So because well-being is an absolute beast, for lack of a better word, 
and it dips its tentacles into so many different areas from culture change to leadership, people management, student behavior, student well-being, community, health, nutrition, exercise, and mental health, just to name a few. It really is my goal to showcase a broad range of guests to share across a multitude of these topics that will really help you and those that you work alongside. Now, before we dive into any more staff or being talk, I wanted to give you a little bit of a background into me and who I am and and why I got into this work in the first place. You see, it only took me around seven years to burn out in teaching, but I can't blame education entirely. You see, 35 years ago, I was born into a really scary and tumultuous home environment with some very complex things happening, um, including domestic abuse. Um, I had a mother with her very own complexities, likely because of what she was bearing witness to and, and, and what she was experiencing. And this then meant that as a little person and, and a young child, particularly going into school, I really struggled to form solid attachments to connect with others, but particularly to learn. I was likely like some of the little people that some of you might spend your time with coaxing them back into class and off roofs when we're at school. Now, this troublesome time really did continue into my teens and into my young adult life. I had no idea really who I was, what I wanted, I developed zero emotional regulation skills, zero emotional intelligence. So, um, I, you know, I continued to act out and get involved with all of the wrong kinds of people. And unfortunately, that meant that when my mother became terminally ill when I was just 21 years old and six months later she died, I was really ill-equipped to cope. In fact, I would say that I didn't cope. You know, I'd kind of bared witness to two very different kinds of parents, either somebody who was outwardly very emotional and somebody who internalised everything. So I didn't actually quite know how to handle myself. And with that zero emotional intelligence to be able to handle the grief, I really continued to spiral throughout my 20s. Now, unfortunately, this time all coincided with the beginning of my life as a teacher, And I threw myself into work and sought this lack of self-worthiness in my career. And that's never a good idea. Now, I climbed the corporate ladder fast and I won a position as a school leader after just three and a half years as a classroom teacher. I was really just a baby. And because I threw myself into work, I found myself falling deeper and deeper and deeper into the teacher trap. I was the kind of leader who just did everything for everyone, for my team. I worked on really long hours and I absolutely took on everything because to me, success was getting things done and and was results. And, you know, it, it was little wonder that my mental health and my physical health slowly began to, t- to deteriorate. And it all came to a head actually on my wedding day. It was meant to be the happiest day of my life, and in many ways it was, but I'd never been more miserable. While I appeared so successful on the outside, I had the guy, I had the job, this beautiful wedding, I just really had hit rock bottom. 
I was dealing with a host of mental health concerns, uh, a number of physical ailments, but really scarily, my husband and I discovered that I was unable to conceive a baby naturally. And this was where I realized that the writing was on the wall. I was like, I have to do something about this. I'm not enjoying my life in this state and I'm certainly not enjoying work. In fact, I was beginning to resent it. So as I began my assisted conception and IVF journey, so too was the beginning of my personal development journey and where I started to dive into really foreign things like self-help books and podcasts and, and studies on, on and health and well-being and happiness. And really, God, I'm so grateful for this. One of the early books that I came across was called The Happiness Project by Gretchen Rubin. And Rubin is a happiness researcher and she developed a year-long project where she dove into a number of different evidence-based practices for being happier. And her philosophy was that happiness is all about learning new skills, concepts, and developing healthier habits. And I was so motivated by her project that being the teacher that I was, I decided to engage in my very own project. And it was here over 12 months of experimenting with some of the practices that I took from her book, but also what I was learning across the, the other info that I was diving into was that I found my very own pathway to well-being. And it was interesting. It started off really basic, like just getting enough sleep and drinking enough water and eating enough food, you know, taking a break when I was at work and actually getting some nutrition into me. And then it started to evolve into setting goals and better managing my time. Soon I started to ask for help, develop connections with others. Eventually I started to work on how grateful I was on things like mindfulness, on forgiveness, and eventually towards the end months focused on acceptance for what was out of my control and finally on contribution, which was what landed me on wanting to be a health and wellbeing coach so that I could teach others these amazing skills that I was learning. Because what I noticed was that over the 12 months of my happiness project, as it got me through 13 rounds of unsuccessful IVF, a miscarriage, and my very own melanoma diagnosis, which was actually the cancer that my mom had died of, that, you know, talk about triggering. I wasn't getting sadder. In fact, I was getting happier. And this was where I began to realize that I was becoming truly resilient. Before, I thought I was certainly resilient. I'd overcome so much in my life, but really I was just sweeping things under the rug. What was happening was that my focus on my health and well-being was developing my self-awareness and my emotional intelligence, and I was learning the skills that I needed to cope. I was still challenged. I still wasn't falling pregnant. There was disappointment. You know, I still worked in a leadership position in a really tricky school, but it was the skills, it was the capacity that I was developing. So because of my happiness project 
my journey and my life-changing experience with taking control of my life, I was so sold on the success of a focus on well-being and I became obsessed with learning more. And I was so inspired by everything that I was learning that I knew other teachers and educators and staff working in schools could do the same. And so enrolling to become a health and wellness coach seemed like the right fit. And when I launched my business 12 months um, later, after I finished my study, my books were filled mostly with teachers and staff who worked alongside me at my school and inside of my directorate because they were watching the change in front of them. So with this new obsession, (laughs) I started to weave what I was learning about health and well-being into the focus areas of the Masters of Educational Leadership that I was completing. So started to take an angle around mentoring and coaching and people management in particular, but with a big focus on personal attributes and how to be an effective leader through people skills and emotional intelligence, self-awareness, all of those areas. So my coaching training, my interest in positive psychology, mental health and trauma has really meant that before long, my attention to my own well-being began to influence my leadership and the performance of my team began to skyrocket. I started becoming a fierce, and I mean fierce, advocate for the well-being of the staff in my school. And soon I was presenting on teacher well-being and teacher and staff well-being, sorry, in schools across Canberra. So my work now has really blended those two professions together as a health and well-being coach and a school leader. And I'm now working with school leadership teams and entire school staff to apply effective ways to support staff well-being and for leaders to adapt their leadership to prioritise staff well-being and school culture using whole school staff well-being action plans. So the services I offer to schools are anonymous staff well-being surveys and, and written reports, leadership group coaching, teacher professional development workshops, and 12-month school partnership programs. Now, my experience with uh, transforming my own well-being and now, of course, working with schools across Australia has helped me to land on my main message that I deliver when working with school leaders and teaching staff. And what I'm seeing in schools that I think many other school leaders and staff are also witnessing is that workplace culture and school function improves when we build a foundation at our school that prioritises staff health, well-being and strong relationships. You see, healthy and well staff are better able to contribute to and form healthy relationships with both their colleagues and the students that they teach, and in many ways, the community at large. In my experience, these foundations are commonly not there for many schools, and COVID has actually made it that much harder. So that's why when we try to introduce any new change, initiative, school approach or strategy, we find that we might not actually gain much traction because the foundations are missing. This is why our plans can begin to fall apart or implode before we see any long-term outcomes and it certainly isn't evident then in the data 
that we require our staff to collect. What I mean by this is that if our staff aren't feeling healthy and well, and we're pushing for them to put in place initiatives, we find that on our strategic plans, sure, we might have lots of actions that we've done throughout the year, but is it actually translating through to results? Is it sticking? Are our staff on board? So we really need to put in the groundwork down at the foundations to see a functioning school, particularly now when there are external factors that are implicating our staff's well-being. Now, this is something that requires a whole episode in itself, but staff well-being really does extend beyond putting on a healthy spread at a morning tea and providing links to after-work drinks. It's much bigger than that. Our staff's well-being is really impacted by how the school is run, by the culture, by the leaders. Um, So the work that I do takes a much deeper dive into the overall state of the school. Now, I run surveys with schools across Australia, and in 2022, I captured some really interesting statistics that I'll share with you. So on average, 63% of staff in schools are reporting feeling stressed, worried or anxious, often to multiple times throughout their day. In some schools, it's reaching up to around 74%. According to the data that I'm collecting, 57% on average of staff report feeling burnt out or are showing multiple symptoms of burnout, so they're at risk. And again, I've seen that reach up to around 70% in some schools, as low as 26% in other schools, which is incredible. On average, around 34% of staff disagree when asked if they feel well mentally and emotionally. So the Australian average for the individual is 20%, so one in five. It makes sense, of course, that education would be higher. It's a very stressful profession alongside working in, in healthcare. But on average, that's 34%. Again, I've seen that reach up to about 49% of staff. So that's potentially in one school, almost 50% of their staff are reporting that they have a mental health challenge or concern. That drastically impacts their ability to work and have workplace satisfaction, to connect with others, particularly students, to be engaged in what they're doing. So what this tells us is that we can see that staff wellbeing certainly requires our attention and the research is only supportive of this. In fact, what the research is showing is that impacted well-being can negatively affect staff, physical and mental health. So when well-being at work is impacted, it can lead to physical and mental health ailments. Additionally, teacher and staff stress, burnout and mental health influences student stress and mental health. In fact, one study I came across was showing that with elevated cortisol or stress hormone in ourselves can cause elevated cortisol in our students. What do you think happens when our stress hormone is high? Our learning is inhibited. Additionally, impacted teacher and staff well-being influences staff and student engagement. This makes sense. When we're feeling stressed and unwell or even mentally unwell, we're less likely to be able to engage uh, in what we do in our work. But when we're not engaged as a teacher or as a leader, then this has been shown to impact student engagement. On a more positive note, a focus on well-being builds school culture. 
Now, this is important because a positive school culture leads to improved workplace satisfaction. Now, this is particularly important because when we are more satisfied with the work that we do, this is more likely to influence student learning outcomes. Additionally, staff well-being influences school-wide relationships. So when we've got that focus on well-being and this positive school culture as well as satisfied staff, then the relationships are more likely to be solid. And this was what I was talking about before, about this being the foundation. Relationships and connection are so important. We are very social beings. We are designed and work best in groups and alongside others. So it makes sense that the relationships need to be there. And finally, the, the research is showing that when schools prioritise staff well-being, they experience increased performance outcomes of the school and with the students. So it's not as easy as just support staff well-being and then all of a sudden your student outcomes will improve. It's, it's quite an intricate mix of things that need to happen. So as I've touched on, it's this focus on engagement, on building school culture, on improving workplace satisfaction and relationships. And then from here, those performance outcomes are likely to improve and in many cases, excel. You see, the the thing here is that well-led schools put people first, then pedagogy or they do them both concurrently at the same time. Ultimately, a school leads with well-being in mind. This is because when our people are healthy, happy and well, they are better able to give to those that they teach. So to support schools to put people first, I utilise, coach and present in a distinct combination of frameworks, models and approaches that have strong scientific backing. I like an integrated approach to just about anything, (laughs) including the way that I live my life, how I eat, (laughs) how I parent. Um, So I was really drawn towards building a model or an approach that incorporates a range of evidence-based practices. I haven't really found one that alone meets all of the needs of a school uh, because it's really complex and we know that working in schools. But predominantly these include Positive Psychology's PERMA model, um, which again is an episode in itself, which will be coming in, in upcoming weeks. But essentially it's it's a model that ensures that we're covering off in a few areas. So our staff's positive emotions, engagement, relationships, meaning, accomplishment, and of course, health. So we've got positive psychology's PERMA model. Then I weave in up-to-date research in educational leadership. And of course, the advice from leading wellbeing organizations such as Beyond Blue, Black Dog Institute, and Mental Health First Aid. Now, this kind of approach, in my opinion, means that in schools, we don't get caught up in any surface level well-being actions or strategies, but don't actually lead our school any differently and therefore don't actually promote any real long-term sustainable change. You see, the thing about just going with positive psychology's PERMA model or just going with some recommendations from the Beyond Blue website can mean that we go for things that we think the school might need or that are easy or that other schools are doing, but they don't actually meet the needs of where our school is at. 
So with these different approaches in mind, I've pulled them all together to create my six steps to becoming a well-led school. Again, this is going to be an episode in itself, but in a nutshell, this six-step process ensures that we take the, the really important deep dive steps first, which is to first of all scan our school and is to ask our staff, talk to our leaders, look at multiple wellbeing data sets to go, okay, how are the staff in our school faring? What's the unique situation here? And therefore, what do we need to do in order to improve the situation? So this is why, again, if you just dive into using the PERMA model, you might not actually be tending to what's happening in your school and the stresses that your staff are experiencing. The next step in the model is is then to upskill our leaders and our staff on effective ways to improve staff well-being and school culture. So this is then looking at those evidence-based practices and also the most up-to-date research, including post-pandemic. This is important. It's a very different situation right now into how we can actually change our current situation. From here, we can then build and develop a tailored staff well-being action plan that meets the needs of our school, that includes evidence-based and up-to-date practices, and therefore is going to likely be the most successful in our setting. That wellbeing action plan will include steps four, five, and six, which are to build and, and manage the relationships of the staff in our school, to implement wellbeing strategies and support options, and finally to engage our staff. So with those six steps, you've got a really juicy way of ensuring that you're taking the right steps towards actually making a big enough change in your school. As you tune into each episode of this podcast, I plan to support you with those evidence-based and helpful ideas and strategies to help you to become a well-led school or even just a leader who leads with well-being in mind. You can put in place these strategies with your team. That's how I began my journey. And each of these areas are, of course, as I said before, episodes in themselves. So do stay tuned as we will unpack them more in upcoming episodes. I want to thank you so much for tuning in to my very first episode of Well-Led Schools. I look forward to having you join me as each new episode is released. My amazing team has put together the show notes for this episode, complete with information and links, and these are available wherever you're listening to this podcast. If you're interested in learning more about my approach, particularly that six-step model, please take time to explore my website at adriannehornby.com.au. I invite you to check out the services that are on offer and download my free ebook on the six steps to becoming a well-led school. So this covers off on my approach to improving staff well-being and school culture in great detail. And I also run a free training on that each term. So our next free and live training is due for around the end of February. If you liked today's episode, please leave me a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast. Your support helps me to reach the ears of other school leaders, teachers and staff. Thanks so much for listening to Well-Led Schools. 
I look forward to connecting with you at adrianhornby.com.au. Here you can get in contact with me, learn more about my approach and join my mailing list. I'm Adrienne Hornby. Thanks again for your time and stay well.